0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process
1: in all genres.
0: Joining us, we have a special guest, right from Seattle here, and she's uh, one of her own uh, lawyer, Anne Bremner. Thank you for being here.
1: It's an honor to be. Thanks for having me. No, oh,
2: welcome
0: so Thank you. Yeah, I was, you know there, you've done so many cases and um, you know one I was thinking about was the Amanda Knox of course and, and I've talked to her and mm-hmm. and it was quite a story but one thing that as a lawyer you know how it how is it dealing with the law systems in other countries so like when you when you have to do when she's in Italy and and arrested for murder, I, I, is it a real rush for you? Like, do you have to learn a lot about how they run their system and sort of kind of c- communicate that?
1: Well, absolutely. It, it was very difficult in her case. I mean, the Italian system is quite different from ours here in the United States. Now, for example, here in the U.S., you can be held only 72 hours on a crime before being charged, otherwise, otherwise they have to let you go. In Italy, it's two years.
2: Oh, wow. That was one
1: thing, and those are clo- closed hearings. And the other thing in, in, in terms of the differences was that they didn't meet, you know, consistently day after day in a trial. They would meet on weekends and then take summers off and things like that. So it was like, we just say one huge Italian opera. This case went on and on and on. And it was very dramatic. So those are just a few things. And of course they have, they don't sequester jurors, so jurors are reading the media you know, etc., cetera, and um, they don't really have the burden of proof that we have here. And that's just a start in terms of differences, quite a different system.
0: How, how do you feel they treated you? Like when you're, you know, dealing with the, uh, the prosecution sort of side or the Crown side, um, do you find that they're, they have a different way of dealing with you or treating you as a defense attorney?
1: Well, I think the prosecutor in this case, you know, I mean, he was actually prosecuted for abusive office during the course of Amanda's and Raffaele's prosecutions and convicted. So he didn't look at us, you know, he kind of looked at us out in Seattle, those of us that supported and worked with Amanda, they looked at us, I think, as scams. Um, So, but the system itself, I, I think, you know, it's Roman, it's based on Roman law, it's an older system than ours, it's based on English common law, and I think... You know, it's a system that works for them, and it should be accorded court of respect. Uh, overall, I think we were treated um, relatively well. But keep it in mind, she had her own lawyers in Italy that were actually, you know, in combat every day, or when they were in session, during the trial against the prosecutor. Yeah.
2: Now, now, I have to ask, do you think that the Italian lawyers were doing as good a job as the American lawyers since she was an American citizen? Was there any, I think, you know, bias? <laughs>
1: it's really hard to tell when, when sitting out here in Seattle and, and dealing with that case over the last decade. It appeared that they did a good job. It, and, you know, Raffaele's lawyer was considered the top lawyer. Her name was Boron in Italy. And she's still his lawyer. because He's looking to get compensated for the wrongful prosecution. And, you know, it was a tough case. The judge wouldn't allow independent evidence in the first trial. It was allowed in the second trial, and that's what ended up in the exoneration, you know, of Amanda and
0: Rafaeli. Okay. Do you, do you think that'll ever, um, is that, is it over now? Because you know how it, they kind of overturn yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it just keeps going back and forth and I'm saying, well, will it ever really end or is it just is it done or is it going to keep going or what?
1: That's a great question. They it, This wasn't just double jeopardy in this case, it was triple jeopardy. <laughs> there was a conviction And then that was overturned in a de novo appeal, which means you tried the case all over again on appeal. So the conviction is overturned. And then, remember, Amanda came home once it was overturned. And yet the Italian courts reinstated the case and tried her again in absentia and convicted her. So that's a three trial. Three. You know, we have have a prohibition against double jeopardy in this country, but they just kept going in Italy. So that's a great question to you ask, and they keep going. But apparently, it finally went to the Supreme Court in Italy, and the Supreme Court said, "Not only are these two innocent; they are exonerated. This they are completely stone cold innocent. There was no evidence against them. You know, there was no reason to hold them." And it's done. But that's a ten years. Yeah. That's a total of ten years.
0: Yeah, I I could not imagine how much of a toll that's really taken on her life, and how absolutely, and, and how it can change your life when you go through that, like that, that's 10 years, you'll never get back. And right. it, it's a whole new road now. And, uh, it just, um, I just could not imagine what it would feel like to be in that kind of a spotlight that long like that. And so many people were, you know, there's a lot of people that still really badmouth her and talk negative. That's about, right. You know, and, um, I just, I, you know, I just roll my eyes. It's like, come on, you know, because they they really didn't, they knew who the killer was, you know.
1: that They not only knew who the killer was, really today, he was convicted in a fast-track trial during that preliminary hearing. Those things were tried together. He was convicted. His, you know, his um, DNA, you know, was all over the um, house. He's um, got his, you know, fingerprints on, her, on Mary's purse. There's bloody handprints down the walls. There's DNA in the toilet that was his. There were footprints. At least one was his. And he confessed on Skype, and he fled the jurisdiction. Evidence of fight is evidence of guilt. He fled. So he was the one. He was convicted. And and, and that was done before Amanda and Raf's first trial.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, that's I shouldn't Before uh, their trial. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Terrible. Yeah. No, you know, I, I,
2: yeah. Yeah, I, I, I still find that astonishing, though. How can he, you know, how can he do an interview over Skype? I mean, that to me is just astonishing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm speechless, you know, and I remember when it happened. But how can mm-hmm. you, you know, interview over Skype?
1: Oh, I know. And, and, you know, he did. And, and he, I mean, and, he, and he's, you know, he, in terms of the evidence he left behind at the scene, you know, it was just, it was overwhelming in terms of, you know, indicating his guilt. He knew it. Because a fast track trial is really, from Italy, is really a slow track guilty plea. It's a slow guilty plea, like you see in the U.S. It just takes a little longer. Yeah. And it gets you a better deal. He got a better sentence than he would have gotten if he went to trial. That's why he did it.
0: Now, could that happen here in the U.S.? Like, could you... No. You couldn't do that sort of thing in the U.S. It just wouldn't happen.
1: It wouldn't happen because we don't try things together like that. They tried the three of them together in a preliminary hearing. And remember, in the trial, they tried the, tried the civil cases with the criminal cases. So Pat, Patrick Mamomba's defamation case, the bar owner, um, the civil case of the family for wrongful death, those are all tried together. We don't do that here. And we don't have a slow guilty plea. We have what's called a pretty quick guilty plea. I mean, if you're going to plead guilty, <laughs> then, then you're going to do it at time. And in, in this country, you know, the only things that are certain are death, taxes, and you can't withdraw a guilty plea. I and mean, a guilty plea is solid and forever. So that's if that happened here he would have pled guilty uh, without any evidence being put forward other than what he admits to in a guilty plea, and it would be over. It wouldn't have been a two-year-long process before he was found guilty. Wow. You know,
0: what's what's your opinion now on the legal system? And that's a huge question, but what I mean mean sort of is, um, we had Marsha Clark on, and we talked about that, the legal system, as it is, for a woman in it as compared to a man, because there's so much talk about this stuff right now with the equal rights and me too and all that stuff, which is great. But how do you feel in the posi- in the position that you're in? Do you, do you do you feel treated differently as a woman?
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay.
0: Um, Why? I. Mean,
1: I, I I, I don't know what Marcia said. She oh, felt she, oh right yeah, oh, she,
0: was, she went crazy on it. She went from...
1: Yeah, I was to, say, I, <laughs> I met Marcia. I met you. a lovely person. I thought that. Lovely person. She, she went crazy. She's wonder, wonderful. Yeah, she went crazy. Yeah, get, no. Yeah,
0: it was just... Um, so so. you feel like you kind of get a little bit less of, of, uh, of this... I don't know how to put this. Do you feel like there's a little bit less power as a woman in your position or equal or... Kind of where where do you find the problems? If I don't even that's the right word, but
1: um, yeah. you, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of problems in in being female in the system, whether you're accused or you know you're a litigant or whether you're a lawyer. But what I've encountered over the years, and I, I've been a trial lawyer for 35 years. I used to be a DA. Is that it, when I was younger, things like this would happen. I was a prosecutor. The judge would say. Miss Brenner, can you babysit the defendant's kids in the hallway? <laughs>
2: you know, what? and I would say yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? well, it's
1: like... And I did say I did say later I wouldn't I wouldn't leave anyone's kids with me, but anyway, I'm not joking. But <laughs> yeah. you know, those kinds of things, you know, it, it happened in my career. And and sometimes you know, you get the honeys, the sweeties, that kind of that kind of thing. But but more it's, it's, it, it, and, I, and I'm not a big complainer about things like this. I'm just telling you some things I've seen. It is that, that there can be, you can be demeaned sometimes by opposing counsel or sometimes by a judge or people think, well, she wouldn't have a big client like that, you know, that would be a guy, you know, yes. some of those kinds of more subtle um, assumptions and I've seen it from, you know, lawyers that have worked for me, you know, like, is that your client? I'm like, well, yeah, actually it is you know? <laughs> they, they chose me, <laughs> right, but um so it, it can be kind of subtle, but... In all the years I've practiced, I have to say that it's a real strength for me to be a female lawyer. I'd rather be nothing else. Um, I think women have more range with juries. I think I think we're more empathetic in a lot of ways. I think that we we get a little more latitude uh, in the way that we present our cases, a little more creativity, and 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 I, I think that you know our relationships with our clients can be very very close. And so, on balance, it's been a wonderful thing for me. But, you know, there's definitely, I can say me too, in terms of yeah. some of the problems. For sure. Me too.
0: Time's up. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Time's well, up. Me too. Well, I, I, well you know, I can't, we're going to have Nancy Grace next month because she's promoting the new show. You are. Yeah, her and Dan Abrams are doing the new A&E show where they retry yeah. 12 cases or something, and they're retrying them. So they're mm-hmm. doing a promo bit. So those two are going to be on, and and uh, I'll find out from her if she took anything from any man. <laughs> Nancy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah. I love Nancy. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, I'm sure. I'm sure she's encountered it, but whether or not she, you know, didn't buy it. I mean, I could, she's um no, I, she's. I wouldn't have the
0: guts. I would not have the guts to say anything. I, I, she's really nice <laughs> that I've talked to her, and she's really sweet. She's not, wonderful. Not as aggressive as she was on the show. But um, You must have had a good time yeah, on I that agree. show. You must have had a great time on that I, show.
1: I had a great time on that show, and and I'll tell you, whenever if Nancy was tough on me, I just, you know, it's like, I'm going to fight with Nancy Grace. Yeah. But you're right. She's She's sweet. She's she's a good friend. She's loyal. She's so kind, um, and she's wonderful to everyone in, in her life. And
0: and I've known
1: her now for twenty years, and I just think the world of her. I consider her a very very good friend, a very dear friend.
0: Yeah, a very very nice lady. The um yeah the uh, now the James Chassie murder um th- that was a big case for you as well, wasn't it?
1: In Portland, yeah. Yeah, that was it, a civil case, uh, the police case.
0: Do you think that, because that involves kind of police killing someone that, you know, they, it was deemed he shouldn't have, do you think that goes on more now or is that getting more of a problem or less of a problem? You know, the whole concept of police abuse and racism against police and blacks, you know, this whole thing, what's your opinion on the direction it's going in?
1: I think it's getting a lot more publicity, a lot more attention, and that's obvious, you know, across the nation. And we see, you know, big cases everywhere from New York to South Carolina to Seattle, you know, to Chicago to Baltimore, you know, etc. cetera, and the big cases. I have handled police shootings and death cases for Seattle police for decades. And also, of course, in Portland and King County and other jurisdictions. And, from my perspective, there, you know, there, there have been claimed to be controversial police-involved deaths throughout my career. And, and, and so when I've seen the more recent publicity, you know, I know from the cases that I've handled that, that this is these, we've had these kinds of cases for a long time. No police officer wants to kill anybody. You know, I've usually been on the scene right after it happens, and, you know, it, it, the use of force by a police officer is, is extremely serious. And very serious to the officer themselves. So, in with Seattle juries, I've never had an inquest jury find against an officer over the years. So, but to answer your question, is it, is it something that's new, different? At least from my perspective, you know, we've we've had kind of a consistent number of deaths, you know, per year, very unfortunately, um, at least in Seattle. And I, I think there's just a lot more attention to these types of cases. Are the police getting worse in other cities? I just don't know. I don't have a basis to know. But I have a lot of confidence in the Seattle police and the Portland police. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, no, they're quite good. I had the chief of police on, and uh, we really enjoy the police. But uh, I was just, just wondering, because mm-hmm. there's so much attention brought to it now, um, if you think it's going to go anywhere. It doesn't seem to change, though. I think, it's my opinion.
2: Well, uh,
1: it let
2: me... Well, I, I kind of want to disagree with that because we are changing policies. I, I work in law enforcement and, and we are revisiting a lot of our policies simply due to the attention. You know, it, it's bringing more focus. Like, hey, maybe we're, maybe it's time that we revisit some of these policies.
1: Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And and I think that's very, very important. It's been embraced here in Seattle, I know, in Portland. I, I what I've advocated for all along is is transparency and that we should have an inquest system or a jury. Here's the facts, not just shooting review board by department, but an actual proceeding, not a grand jury secret proceeding, but a proceeding that's open to the public, examining who, what, where, when, how. Each side has counsel, the deceased family, the police um, themselves, there's a prosecutor, a judge. The more transparency we can have in the recounting of these unfortunate incidents the better so that we can understand and like you said examine and maybe change policies and take a look at things we can do better in the future we can always do better Um, but to make sure everybody understands exactly what happened in any kind of um, officer involved shooting or um,
2: use of deadly force now here's an idea that that i thought about you know some years ago is getting the public involved in those type of panels you know right Give them, a, you know, give them a little bit of education and then say, what do you think of this? Now, but right. it, it, it's difficult now because there seems to be such a anti-law enforcement bias lately. What is your opinion on that? I mean, it's almost like we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner.
1: I know. And the thing is, you know, in, in terms of, of some of the shootings, it, it just becomes polarized in an instant. So that nobody's willing to, you know, it's kind of like it's all over except for the shouting. That, that we don't see a discourse about, you know, some of the shootings and, and they're decided in public opinion immediately. And, and so, I, you know, it, it, I think it's really, really difficult. We have to keep moving to where that, that there's excellent policies, you know, the use of deadly force is appropriate and it's used as, as last resort and, and that we don't have any of these kind of controversial shootings. And they're sure out there, I acknowledge that, you know, around the nation, they're, they're out there. Mm-hmm. But they're so polarizing that I don't know that that we, you know, can get the conversations where they need to be. I think it's good for the public to be involved in an inquest, and they are, as inquest jurors in Seattle. They just stopped inquests in this state, or in this county, by the way. The county executive put a moratorium on it to re-examine that process. But I still think it's the best process out there as opposed to having a secret grand jury, you know, having something, you know, where it's just internal review um, on a shooting alone, um, or just a decision, you know, by a prosecutor about what to do with the officer, criminal versus none,
2: without any kind
1: of evidence review that's formal. You know, that you just have someone make a decision based upon the police interviews or police reports and not have an actual evidentiary hearing with witnesses and evidence.
2: Yeah, perhaps a lot of that'll change though, because now a lot of departments are going to all body cam all the time.
1: Right. I think it's great. Yeah. I was gonna say uh, so, uh, the uh, downside down of that.
2: No, no. I was gonna say
0: too that I um I, one thing I learned just in an interview a little while back is about the Rafa Burns case, you know, in Bellevue. The two kids from Vancouver, oh, sure. you know, because we were dealing with oh, okay. yeah, and we're dealing with the Mister Big thing out of Canada and Project Innocence. I didn't realize this, and I feel really stupid now. So I, <laughs> he, never. Well, no, I do because when uh, I, they do not offer parole in the state of Washington.
1: Oh no, they don't. Huh? So and, Yeah, no, no. Hey, I knew
0: Kevin wouldn't know this either. If you're in Washington, like, these two kids got convicted for the murder. You weren't on that interview. But, and now there's, you know, there's a lot of controversy whether they did it or not, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to get into that. But I I just found out when we were doing that interview, because the Project Innocent, Ken, Ken Klonsky, the guy trying to help them get out, says there's no parole in Washington. So you get 20 years, you get... 20 years. Exactly.
1: We have what's called sentencing reform. It's the SRA, Sentencing Reform Act, and it was enacted in the early 80s. And it's basically saying they felt that parole was abused and they felt the commission the sentencing or the commission and also the legislature. And so it was basically you do the crime, you do the time. There's set ranges looking at crime itself, looking at your criminal history.
2: You're looking at other factors,
1: and you're going to serve that time within a range. And then when you're out, you get what's called community supervision. For short term, the parole is gone. Um, there was like an anecdotal story that a judge once had sentenced somebody to, like, sit in his lawyer's office for a couple of hours on a serious case. I mean, that that's the kind of things people were saying. It's like, and then parole would be granted too early, you know, for people, and they would go out and commit heinous crimes. So in our state, we said it's all... Um, sentencing reform, and we have specific times that you do, depending on the crime and your history, and then when you're done, you're done.
0: Wow. Uh, do, you, do you like it? Do you think it's working?
1: I like it um, because I, I think it does get certainty. And, and I think it. I think when I was a prosecutor, I thought a lot of the ranges were too small, especially for, like, uh, negligent homicide, like with the DUI. You know, some of those were, were seemed to me to be, you know, lighter sentences, again, like negligent homicide is, is not a lot of time. So sometimes you think, geez, it should be a lot more time than that. But for anybody sentence, they probably think it's way too much time. And I remember the burns in the vacate. Yeah. Remember, they went to Canada. They went up to Canada. Yeah. And had to be extradited. Right. And,
0: of course, Canada wouldn't extradite them because it was a death penalty case.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so that's why they came back and they were tried. Um, you know, only looking,
0: looking at a license. How do you, Actually, you're a lawyer. This is good. How? What do you think about... <laughs> no, because what do you think about that Mr. Big thing? Because, in, you see, in Canada, Kevin, they do uh, Mr. Big thing. So the kids are up in Canada, and the RCMP undercover force pretends to be gangsters or kind of bad people, and they def- befriend the people that they feel have committed a crime. And so then what they do is they get them to do, you know, run guns, drugs, steal cars, do all these fake crimes that they've made. And once they get the trust, then they end up getting the information about, oh, so tell me about those, the woman you killed, you know, or something. They'll get into that and they record it. And that's a recorded confession. In Now in the States, that's entrapment, isn't it? In the in Canada, it's still considered legal. But they used what the Canadian policing did to convict those two in the States. even mm-hmm. though, but how They did. Can, how can that be? Because if that was American cops that did this same thing to them in Bellevue, it, it wouldn't be allowed. So why is it allowed to take something that you couldn't do in, in this country from another country? Like That's confusing to me.
1: Well, I mean, it was, it was legal in the country where it occurred. And I actually went to that trial. I remember watching or listening to some of those tapes, of um, uh, Burns and Raffae talking to the "quote unquote" bad guy monster people, yeah. but is pretty hard to prove. You have to basically show that you wouldn't have had that thought in your mind unless they, the authorities, you know, um, got it implanted into you or you know persuaded you to do this, but you didn't. You basically, in a lot of ways, you know, wouldn't have done the crime otherwise. And I think the Canadian case, they spent quite a bit of time hanging out with these two and getting them to talk. And then the tapes were deemed to be admissible by a judge. I presume an argument was made, like you said, to Judge Mattel, who was the trial judge. You know, something like, you know, well, this is not, wouldn't be legal here, so it shouldn't be admissible. I'm sure that was tested Yeah. to the judge, but he let him in. Yeah, because it's a voluntary utterance. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They were bragging, as I, as I remember, they... They, you know, there, was, there was quite a bit, uh, I think, of, of tape in
0: that case. Oh, there was, there was. They did five months. And the uh, Sebastian Burns is the one that did the uh, the bragging. But he was, you know, when you looked at him throughout the whole five months, even when they didn't talk about the case, he was very arrogant. He was, uh, yes. he came across that way. Like he would tell the judge what was wrong, you know, in the case. He He was very flippant to people. So people didn't like him. Um, right. Raffae was really quiet mm. and polite and mannered and didn't really go off. So, Wasn't was Raffae's sister the one that was
1: murdered besides the parents?
0: Yeah, yeah. She was the one with autism and 20 years old. At horrible, the, yeah. Oh, it was a terrible yeah. bru- beating. Terrible. Awful. That was brutal. Mm. Terrible. And especially in Bellevue, something that just you'd never heard of, you know. Um, I, I just so many of those. Right. Same, so many of those, because now the Supreme Court of Canada sort of put a real kibosh on that sort of uh, Mr. Big thing, so, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are being overlooked.
1: Well, I, I think that you know the thing with Burns and Raffae was that you know it was such a horrific crime, um, and then they were gone, you know, to Canada, they absconded, and then I, I don't know if you remember this, but but. To, um, Burns um, said he'd been involved especially with his own lawyer. So well, that yeah, that was a was. whole other side show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That,
0: yeah. She got kicked off case. the
1: case. Yeah, man. Right, but it was
0: really protracted, you know, it, it, from from the crime until they were actually
1: convicted. Yeah,
0: this would be a great movie.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it's it's terrible case.
0: Well, it's a terrible case, and I, and I know that they're... Uh, Sebastian Burns is done with his appeals, but I know Rafe's still on his. So um,
1: we'll see. Well, where... well, you know they just finished. They just finished doing a number of um, pieces on the Menendez brothers. Twenty five years later, I think mean, Netflix did one, and they did a Law and Order to Wolf series on that case.
0: Yeah, yeah. We actually just talked to them on the A and E one where they had that. And uh, you know, some of these cases. Uh, you, which? Which did which? Ca- sticks with you for the longest, like right now, that you were involved with, or even if you weren't, what, what stays with you?
1: I think the Susan Cox Powell case, because she's never been found. And um, and then when her husband, the suspect, came out to Washington, um, the kids were given to him through DSHS, and he uh, blew them up in the house, killed them in a hatchet. And so, and Susan still hasn't been found. And it was just such a horrible tragedy to, like, a wonderful family, you know, I've, who I've worked with for years. It's just like there's, I've never seen, you know, all the cases I've covered or handled myself, such, like, a horrible set of circumstances. You know, those little boys, you know. Yeah. They, they were wrecked right to their dad. He said, I was surprised. And he set the house on fire and killed him with passion.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, that was terrible. Terrible. What do you like better, uh, defense or prosecution? What did you like personally doing better? Or
1: I guess you have to say defense now, but... (laughs) (laughs) I like all of it. I like like all of it. I'm like, you know, there's there's that saying that only lawyers and painters can turn black to white. You know, it's like you come into a situation... I guess I'm more just based on the client or the case as opposed to what side of it I'm, I'm on. Um, I think it's most rewarding to be a prosecutor and represent victims, but I represent victims in civil cases, too. And so I find that to be the most gratifying. The people that don't have access to justice, in a lot of ways, I like to help with that. Amanda Knox is very gratifying. You know, there's somebody that everyone thought was guilty in the beginning. And, you know, th- you know... Th- th- Uh, all types of horrors were raining on her head. And to have gotten involved in that, you know, and trying to help somebody, you know, that that almost seemed beyond help in the beginning, it's really gratifying to me. It's a great thing to be a lawyer that you can use those skills in our system to help people. And so, I know know it sounds kind of simple and almost cheesy, but there's nothing like it, I think. When when she came home, I mean, I, I was crying like a baby. I mean, it was just like when I heard the news. Yeah. Yeah, when certain cases when 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 justice prevails, I mean, there's just nothing
0: like it. Did you think that we have some sort of uh, like with the wrongful convictions that have been coming out lately, and a lot of the talk about that? um, Do you think that we need to reassess some of the trials, some of the convictions, sort of things? Like, like should we be um, showing them on TV? You know, like you were talking about public and and they all get on one side or the other because of whatever they see, but without really seeing the evidence. So should we really be televising everything as it goes and exposing everybody to it, or should we kind of keep it a little bit more quiet?
1: Well, I think we should televise things, and that's part of, you know, access to justice and our rights as citizens, but it's also the right of the accused under the Constitution to have the public, you know, examine their trial for fairness. I mean, it's not just public access rights. It's the right of the accused. They have their, their, the, their proceedings scrutinized, you know, for fairness. And, you know, I, I cover some trials for some of the cable networks. And Scott Peterson's case, remember, was fully televised. Right um michael Jackson's wasn't um casey anthony was you know it's like oj simpson of course we know this <laughs> trial yeah. of the you know, but i think i think it's helpful for the public to see exactly what the evidence is if the public wants to see it in a high profile trial in, in michael jackson's case you know we, we would have to come out as lawyers and address the media about some of the legal issues and i was put in a position saying what happened in court Why not just have people, the public, see what's happening in court? You know, the Court TV was a great network. You know, Dan and Nancy both do a lot with public trials. You know, Dan's got his own network now, the Law News Network, covering live trials. And and I think people want to see live trials. And I think that's the best way to see justice at work, our system at work. And people can make their own conclusions Well, by was, watching the evidence. The, oh, court. the jury's going to decide and the judge is going to decide. But, yeah, yeah, go I, ahead. Sorry. I think,
0: well, no, I just, the only thing is, because like we <clears throat> we were doing, we were in Phoenix. We still are uh, our show, but um, that's where it was originated. And the Jody Arias trial was on. So, of course, we had, um, you know, uh, Kirk Nermy and we've had, uh, sure. uh, you know, Martinez. You know, we did the whole thing several times. Mm-hmm. how can you see cuz i look at kirk nurmi and, and he it wrecked his life
1: um
0: i and, know and, and and i just don't how can you do your job when you're under that much scrutiny like oh did he did he did he get a you know operation did he lose weight did he is he you know what color tie is that he's wearing or he's he, you know all these name callings and then then the threats on their families and then the uh i'm going to you know we're going to kill your daughter and you know all this stuff they were getting I'm thinking, if I, if I was in, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but if I was a lawyer, under that kind of scrutiny, I I think it would be very hard to do my job, not because I'm inadequate, but because, wow, that's that's pressure I'm not used to being on. All of a sudden, I'm on every cable channel 24-7, and everybody's got an opinion about me.
1: Yeah, I mean, this. For someone like that, I, I felt horrible for him, you know, what he went through, and especially with someone like Jody Arias was a client. I mean, no. she was demonized, the public, There's no, as you know, no doubt. And, and, and of course, Marsha knows what that is. You know, she was um, prosecuting O.J. Simpson. And, you know, any number of these cases, you, you, you do have that. That's a real big downside. Even in the Amanda Knox case, I had people make death threats, put me in felons outfits, doctor pictures, put them on the web. You know, I'll kind of put my address out there. There's a whole world now with social media and the media where where, where, where it can be really menacing. Well,
0: doesn't that, like, but what I'm saying is, but doesn't that, okay, so you're here with getting little bad comments about Amanda and threats. Doesn't that, take the attention away from what you're doing, or doesn't that kind of affect you? I, I, I'm just trying to get into the mind of how that would affect you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've, over the years, I, I'm not on, on the level of Marsha or, or anybody else who has had the case in, in the media. I, so I can't really speak to that kind of exposure, but no matter what the exposure is and, and the negativity, sure, it affects you. I mean, I, I've had um, police protection at my house, um, you know, I've had an alarm installed in my house that goes directly to the police department, and it can definitely affect you. I mean, it would affect anybody, whether you're getting threats, whether you're getting smears, you know, whether you're getting you know criticism that's not fair. That's a huge scale to be in, to be that prominent in an international case or national case, especially when you represent. You know um, the Damned. I mean, that's what she was, Casey or Johnny um, Arias. You were know, the attorney for the Damned, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now let's let's revisit media coverage of high profile crimes. I, I think one of the points that, that Al was alluding to is: Do you think that major coverage of a crime before the trial? Do you think? that that could prejudice any potential jury pool and how do you get around that as a defense attorney
1: that's a great point and, and that's the analysis
2: when there's prejudicial information out
1: there that could um, taint the jury pool then then there's a real concern prosecutors under the ethical rules are not allowed to say much and they shouldn't i mean they should simply say this is a crime this is a person has been arrested this is the trial date, and not talk about statements of the accused, potentially inadmissible evidence, you know, characterize the accused, any of those things. And that helps a lot when a prosecutor, um, it, it basically stands by what they're duty bound to not do or say. And then when you deal with, if it's out everywhere in the media, then you have to deal with the question of the change of venue. I mean, but it's going to be within your own state. <laughs> and with oh, the Internet, yes. it doesn't really seem, you know. Um, it's not going to really make a difference whether you try a case in Seattle or with the island or anything else because it's everywhere. So it's really tough. And I was going to mention the first case I remember like this, historically, was the Fatty Arbuckle case in San Francisco that really made Hearst, you know, rich and able to, build, I would say he was able to build San Simeon because Fatty Arbuckle was the most popular Hollywood Comedian of the day. He was accused of a homicide, a rape, and a homicide, and it was all over all the time in the newspaper the Hearst newspapers. And he was tried three times, and he didn't do it. And the jury said he didn't do it, and he died like, at the age of fifty after three trials. Mm. There was so much salacious coverage about him. It was party to San Francisco. I think it was a Mark Hawkins or the St. Francis and a woman, you know, died from sepsis, but they said he had sex with her, and he said, he killed her, and on and on and on. It sold newspapers like crazy.
2: But there's really no way to avoid that. Like you said, in, in today's, you know, digital age, you know, we've got right. CNN, we've got Fox, we have major networks. Uh, for example, a local example, um, we had the Amy Bishop killing here where, you know, she shot her um, colleagues over here at UAH. Uh, Oh, my God. That was on Fox News, CNN, before, you know, before the investigators knew what was going on. And now I, I have to question if somebody like that has a fair trial, like you said, even with a change of venue. Doesn't something like that start actually with the investigators releasing information and, and
1: yeah,
2: there's really no way to stop that, is there?
1: No, except for that that the, the investigators shouldn't be re- releasing anything the prosecutor couldn't release, and so they need to be really careful about not sending things out into the media, because oh. you're going to say the defense attorney they can you know they've been impacted by clients' right to a fair trial negatively by releasing a bunch of things. Maybe it's not evidence that'll come in. You know, that's a lot of the problem but The jury gets tainted beforehand.
2: Now, now, part two of this, and this is the conundrum, let's look at the Las Vegas shooters. This is a situation where they're trying to withhold information so that they don't, you know, create an opinion and effectively try this this man in the media who is already deceased, but now you've got the, the media and the public putting pressure on the sheriff's department, we want information. We want information that they don't have. So, you know, there's a there's a strange balance that has to be reached between appeasing the public but assuring this person's rights.
1: You know, beautifully stated. And and when you look at the requirements of a prosecutor, part of that is if it's necessary for public safety, there's certain things you should say and certain things you can say. You know the person at large you know are, pe- are, are people at risk? those are the kinds of things they should say.
0: Yeah well, there we have it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't I, yeah, I wasn't I just sort of uh, sometimes I just think that the position of people when they get in that kind of spotlight is, is it's got to be real difficult you know um, but
1: well but yeah, I and mean, when you look at hundreds of people being shot, and scores of people dying—the enormity of that has just got to be overwhelming for anybody. Yeah, it was for all of us.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's quite the tragedy, and and uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, it probably keep on happening. Um, but think positive. Stop it, Kevin. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> think positive, right? Yeah. Well, so so, Anne, what's what's kind of going on now? You've got a lot of cases going and stuff, and anything uh, in the works for you for 2018?
1: No, I'm just I've, I've got a lot of cases. We still have the Susan Cox Powell case um, against the Child Protective Services, where they didn't protect those boys. They gave the boys to Stephen Powell, so that's pending in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And I've done, I've done some documentaries recently on everything from Scott Peterson. To Rebecca Zahau, to the Menendez brothers, and the Rebecca Zahao trial is starting soon in California. Remember, she was the one hanging naked off the balcony oh, yeah. um, in Coronado, and they called it a suicide. <laughs> and she was bound and gagged. I know. I said, "I've never seen a suicide like that." I represented the family in the criminal investigation, so I'll be interested to see what happens with that. I hope they get justice, and um, just you know, I'm I'm trying to. Um, do a little bit more like insight on Amanda Knox's case, you know, and to figure out lessons learned and what it means, you know, to the wrongfully accused and convicted. You know, what kind of lessons have been learned from that case? Because it was, you know, the biggest case uh, of its kind of a, of a wrongful prosecution uh, internationally.
0: Okay, Kevin, I thought you had one more
2: Oh, yeah, I've got to ask this. Just out of curiosity, You know, this is for my own selfish indulgence here, is, okay. there, a, is there a case that you've ever regretted taking as a defense? Oh, that's a good
1: question. Yeah. Uh, you know what? There's more than one. I can tell you that. that, but I
2: can't play <laughs>
0: you what yeah. uh, <laughs> Not on the air. Come on, you can't. Yeah, tell I, don't I don't know, know if they're listening. listening. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you never know. Okay, you, you can always say, "Hey, if you're listening right now, turn us off." Yeah, yeah. but
1: yeah, everybody at- listens to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, okay. I'll just say, I, yeah, I have some regrets. So I'll leave it at that.
2: Now, Al, you can tell she's a good attorney because she answered the question without answering it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> thank that's you. Right.
1: Thanks for out the
0: compliment. compliment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. Well, Anne, it uh, is, yeah. we're 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 going to wrap it up, but thank you very much. This has been a pleasure. And, 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 you know, anytime you have anything to talk about or if you want to have any um, news about anything or cases and you want to bring out some information, we are more than happy because we do crime all the time. We're five days a week and uh, we're, we're open to it because you're in Seattle. That's our home station here, so we're always promoting
1: stuff like that. Well, it's been such an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so
2: much. Oh, thank well, boy, you. The, the honor was, was ours. <laughs> okay, we're back.